Preface of Our Cats and All About Them. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in March 2011. Our Cats and All About Them Their Varieties, Habits, and Management, and for show, the Standard of Excellence and Beauty described and pictured by Harrison Weir, F.R.H.S. To my dear wife, Alice Mary, I dedicate this book, in token of my appreciation of her gentle and tender kindness towards all animal life, more particularly the cat. Itsley, Seven Oaks. Preface What is ought, but, as tis valued, Troilus and Cressida, Act Two. The following notes and illustrations of and respecting the cat are the outcome of over fifty years' careful, thoughtful, heedful observation, much research, and not unprofitable attention to the facts and fancies of others. From a tiny child to the present, the love of nature has been my chief delight animals and birds have not only been objects of study but of deep and absorbing interest i have noted their habits watched their ways and found lasting pleasure in their companionship this love of animal life and nature with all its moods and phases has grown with me from childhood to manhood and is not the least enjoyable part of my old age among animals possibly the most perfect and certainly the most domestic is the cat. I did not think so always, having had a bias against it, and was some time coming to this belief. Nevertheless, such is the fact. It is a veritable part of our household, and is both useful, quiet, affectionate, and ornamental. The small or large dog may be regarded and petted, but is generally useless. The cat, a pet or not, is of service. Were it not for our cats, rats and mice would overrun our house, buildings, cultivated, and other lands. If there were not millions of cats, there would be billions of vermin. Long ages of neglect, ill-treatment, and absolute cruelty, with little or no gentleness, kindness, or training, have made the cat self-reliant, and from this emanates the marvellous powers of observation, the concentration of which has produced a state analogous to reasoning, not unmixed with timidity, caution, wildness, and a retaliative nature. But should a new order of things arise, and it is nurtured, petted, cosseted, talked to, noticed, and trained, with mellowed firmness and tender gentleness, then, in but a few generations, much evil that bygone cruelty has stamped into its often wretched existence will disappear, and it will be more than ever not only a useful, serviceable helpmate, but an object of increasing interest, admiration, and cultured beauty, and, thus being of value, profitable. Having said this much, I turn to the pleasurable duty of recording my deep sense of the kindness of those warm-hearted friends who have assisted me in my labor of love, 
not the least among these being those publishers who with a generous and prompt alacrity gave me permission to make extracts excerpts notes and quotations from the following high-class works their property my best thanks are due to messrs longmans and company blaine's encyclopedia of british sports allen and company rev j f thistleton dyers english folklore Castle and Company Limited, Dr. Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, and Old and New London, Messrs. Chatto and Windus, History of Signboards, Mr. J. Murray, Jameson's Scottish Dictionary, and others. I am also indebted to Messrs. Walker and Bootle and the Phototype Company for the able manner in which they have rendered my drawings and for the careful printing to my good friends Messrs. Charles Dickens and Evans. Harrison Weir, Idsley, Seven Oaks, May 5, 1889. Preface to New Edition. T'was pitiful, t'was wondrous pitiful. Othello. Some time has passed since I published my book, Our Cats and All About Them, in 1889, and much has taken place regarding these household pets. All know as well as myself that each and everything about us changes, nothing stands still, that which is of today is past, and that which was hidden often revealed, sometimes by mere accident, at others by scientific research but one was scarcely prepared in any way for so wonderful a find as that of the large number of mummy-cats at Beni Hassan, central Egypt. They were discovered by an Egyptian fella employed in husbandry, who tumbled into a pit which, on further examination, proved to be a large subterranean cave, completely filled with mummy-cats, every one of which had been separately embalmed and wrapped in cloth after the manner of the egyptian human mummies all being laid out carefully in rows and here they had lain probably about three or four thousand years the totem of a section of the ancients as is well known was the cat hence when a cat died it was buried with due honours being embalmed and often decorated in various ways and in short had as much attention paid to it as a human being it had long been believed that a cat cemetery existed on the east bank of the nile and in the autumn of eighteen eighty nine the lucky egyptian about one hundred miles from cairo came unexpectedly upon it immediately on the find becoming known specimen mummy cats were written for to agents in egypt one friend of mine sending for four and it appeared for a while that much money would be realized by the owner of the cave or land in this way but the number was too great and the prices and the interest gave way and sad to relate these former deities were dug out of their resting place by hundreds of thousands and quickly sold to local farmers being used for enriching the land other lots found their way to an Alexandrian merchant, and were by him sent to Liverpool on board the steamer Ferris and Thebes. The consignment consisted of nineteen and a half tons, and were sold by auction, mostly being bought by a local fertilizer merchant. The auction was only known to the trade, and the lots were knocked down at the giving away sums of 
three pounds thirteen shillings nine pence three pounds seventeen shillings to four pounds five shillings per ton the big and the perfect ones being picked out for the museum and private collections the broker who sold used the head of one of these cats in lieu of an auctioneer's hammer and now these tons of deified cats are used for manure and in our english soil plants grow into them and on them and off them and if it be true as chemists assert these plants take into their system that on which they feed and so if so possibly in our very bread that we have eaten we have swallowed a little at a time part of if not the whole of a deified cat i made several endeavours to find out from those on the spot at liverpool whether there was any hair of colours in existence among the mass of bodies but in no case could i succeed in getting any as i had hoped by this means to possibly come to some conclusion as to the kind or breed of course it is well known from mummies long in this country what form size and general appearance the egyptian possessed but as yet as far as i can learn no one has found so much if any of the fur as to be able to determine the colour apropos with the above as applying the bodies of the mummy cats for manure comes the modern idea of keeping cats for their fur it is stated that a company has been formed in america for that purpose in washington and an island of some size has been bought at least for the purpose the intention is to raise entirely black cats and as their place of abode will be surrounded by water it is conjectured that after the first importation they will go on propagating and producing only cats of that beautiful though sombre dark hue the cats with which the island is to be stocked are to be procured from holland where already the industry is at work so much so that a friend of mine an elderly gentleman sending to a furrier in holland to know what kind of fur he would recommend as the best for warmth received the reply that cat skins were the most useful and warmest a few days ago he called on me wrapped in a cloth coat with fur collar and cuffs and lining throughout of black cat's skins and i am bound to say that the general appearance was much in its favour he also stated that he was in every way perfectly satisfied by the by the cat company intend to feed their cats on fish which abound about the shores of their island and so they affirm the food will cost nothing and their profits consequently be very large but in this i hope they have been well informed as to the adaptability of the cat to feed entirely on fish for of this i have my doubts certainly those i have had did not appear to thrive if they had fish too often again as the cats are to roam the island at their own sweet will i take it there will be at times some damaging of fur by the playful way in which they so often engaged when jealousy incites them to mortal combat but possibly this has been considered and duly entered in the profit and loss account while writing that portion of my book in which i referred to the superstitions connected with the domestic cat and the amazing stories told of the witches cats i felt convinced that in those darkened and foolish times the very fact of the wonderful faculty the cat possesses of applying what it observes to its own purposes 
was in some way the cause of the ignorant and superstitious considering that it was possessed of an evil spirit i therefore searched for proofs among the evidence given at the trial of witches and was as i expected rewarded for my trouble what a cat would do now would not unreasonably be thought clever and showing much sagacity if not attributes of a deeper kind yet i find that at a trial for witchcraft the following questions were put to a man well and what did you see well i saw her cat walk up and try to open the door by the latch what did you do i immediately killed it this which is now regarded as an everyday example of the intelligence of the cat bore hardly in the evidence against the witch sir walter scott in his letter on demonology and witchcraft tells of a poor old woman condemned as usual on her own confession and on the testimony of a neighbor who deposed that he saw a cat jump in the accused person's cottage through the window at twilight one evening and that he verily believed the cat to be the devil on which precious testimony the poor wretch was hanged one more note and i leave the subject a certain carpenter named william montgomery was so infested with cats which as his servant-maid reported spoke among themselves that he fell in a rage upon a party of these animals which had assembled in his house at irregular hours and betwixt his highland arms of knife dirk and broadsword and his professional weapon of an axe he made such a dispersion that they were quiet for the night in consequence of his blows two witches are said to have died since writing of the english wildcat i had the pleasure of meeting mr francis darwin brother of mr charles darwin on board the steamboat going to st servan when in the course of conversation he informed me that a wild cat was killed at bramhope moor plantation in eighteen forty one a keeper having caught it in two traps in february of this year eighteen ninety one my kind friend mr dresser of orpington the well-known naturalist wrote to me to know whether I would like to have a kitten half-bred between the British wildcat and a domestic she-cat, which I was unfortunately obliged to decline, fearing it would make matters unpleasant with what I had. He very kindly supplied me with the following particulars, forwarded to him by O. H. Mactire, Esquire. Mr. Harrison Weir can see the papa of the kitten at the zoo. He is a young cat, under a year old, we thought, by the teeth. He was seen one moonlight night in company with my stalker's small lean black cat, right away in my deer forest. We caught the papa in a trap after he had killed a number of grouse, and not being badly hurt, I sent him to Bartlett at the zoo. We are thoroughly up to real wild cats here. I have caught them forty-three inches from nose to tail end, tails as thick at the point as at the root, the ears are also differently set on. Martin cats, pole cats, and badgers are all extinct here, and it is ten years since we got the last wild cat, but three have been killed in this district this winter. I insert the foregoing as being of much interest, it having been frequently stated that the wild cat will not mate with the domestic cat. The kitten offered to me is now at Folly Court, Bucks. 
Among the numerous letters I have received from America is one from Mrs. Mary A. C. Livermore of Cambridge, Massachusetts, USA, who writes, I have just come possessed of a black long-haired cat from Maine. It is neither Persian, Angora, nor Indian. They are called here coon cats, and it is vulgarly supposed to be a cross between a common cat and a coon. Mine is a rusty bear-brown color, but his relatives have been black and white, blue and white, and fawn and white, the latter the gentlest, prettiest cat I know. His tail is very bushy, and a fine ruff adorns his neck. A friend of mine has a pair of these cats, all black, and the female consorts with no one but her mate. Yet often she has in her litter a common short-haired kitten. Since the above reached me, I have received from another correspondent in the United States a very beautiful photograph of what is termed a coon cat. It certainly differs much from the ordinary long-haired cat in appearance, but as to its being a cross with the raccoon, such a supposition is totally out of the question, and the idea cannot be entertained. The photographs sent to me show that the ears are unusually large, the head long, the length being in excess from the eyes to the tip of the nose, the legs and feet are large and evenly covered with long, somewhat coarse hair, the latter being devoid of tufts between and at the extremity of the toes. There are no long hairs of any consequence, either within the ears or at their apex. The frill or mane is considerable, as is the length of the hair covering the body. The tail is rather short and somewhat thick, well covered with hair of equal length and in shape like a fox's brush. The eyes are large, round and full, with a wild staring expression. Certainly the breed, however it may be obtained, is most interesting to the cat naturalist, and the color, as before stated being peculiar, must of course attract his attention independently of its general appearance. Since the above was written, I have received the following from Mr. Henry Brooker, The Elms, West Midford, Massachusetts, United States of America. After asking for information respecting cats of certain breeds, he says, I have had for a number of years a peculiar strain of long-haired cats. They come from the islands off the coast of Maine, and are known in this country as coon cats. The belief is that they have been crossed with the coon. This, of course, is untrue. The inhabitants of these islands are seafaring people, and many years ago someone on his vessel had a pair of long-haired cats from which the strain has sprung. There are few short-haired cats on the island, as there is no communication with the mainland except by boat. I want to improve my strain and get finer hair than the cats now have. Yellow cats are the most popular kind here, and I have succeeded in producing cats of a rich mahogany color, with brushes like a fox. They hunt in the fields with me, and my Scotch terriers and they are on the most friendly terms. This, as a corroboration of the foregoing letters and the photographs, is, I take it, eminently satisfactory. I have been shown a Siberian cat by Mr. Kastang of Leadenhall Market. The breed is entirely new to me. It is a small female cat of a slaty blue color, rather short in body and legs. The head is small and much rounded, while the ears are of medium size. 
the iris of the eyes is a deep golden color which in contrast to the bluish color of the fur makes them to appear still more brilliant the tail is short and thick very much so at the base and suddenly pointed at the tip it is particularly timid and wild in its nature and is difficult to approach but as mr castang observed this timidity may be because it does not understand our language and does not know when it is called or spoken to i think it would make a valuable cat to cross with some english varieties a correspondent writes in your book on cats you do not mention norwegian cats i was in norway last year and was struck by the cats being different to any i had ever seen being much stouter built with thick close fur mostly sandy with stripes of dark yellow i suppose i am to infer that both the sexes are of a sandy yellow color if so i should say it is more a matter of selection than a new color i find generally in the colder countries the fur is short dense and somewhat woolly and as a rule judging from the information that i am continually receiving whole or entire colors predominate large cats are by some sought after this i take it is a great mistake the fairly medium-sized cat being much the handsomer of the two and they are generally also devoid of that coarseness that is found apparent in the former while small cats are extremely pretty and i understand are not only likely to be in vogue but are actually now being bred for their extreme prettiness i have heard of some of these bantam cats being produced by that true and most excellent fancier mr herbert young who not only has produced a tortoise-shell tomcat on lines laid down by myself but is also engaged in breeding more and i have not the least doubt he will be most successful he having so been in producing new colours and some of the finest silver tabby short-haired cats as yet seen these short-haired cats in my opinion far surpassing for beauty any long hair ever exhibited and are certainly of a sweeter disposition in my former edition of our cats i wrote hopefully and expectantly of much good to be derived from the institution of the so-called national cat club and of which i was then president but i am sorry to say that none of those hopes or expectations have been realized and i feel now the deepest regret that i was ever induced to be in any way associated with it i do not care to go into particulars further than to say i found the principal idea of many of its members consisted not so much in promoting the welfare of the cat as of winning prizes and more particularly their own cat club medals for which though offered at public shows the public were not allowed to compete and when worn by the members in many cases the public were thoughtlessly misled by believing it was an open competition i therefore felt it my duty to leave the club for that and other reasons i have also left off judging of the cats even at my old much-loved show at the crystal palace because i no longer cared to come into contact with such lovers of cats i am very much in favour of the cats homes the one at dublin in which miss swift takes so much interest the one in london with miss mayhew working for it with the zeal of a true cat lover and that where mr colam is the manager all deserve and have my sincerest and warmest approbation sympathy and support standing out as they do in such bright contrast to those self-styled cat lovers the national cat club <laughs>
Harrison Weir, FRHS, Idsley, Seven Oaks, March 12, 1892. End of preface.